everybody. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here, and it's good to see you. It is good to see the sunshine, is it not? Uh, it, it is beautiful. Woodburn has a water park right across the street now, and, and it is, uh, 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 that, that reminds me, guys, I, I, I promise if I complained, I put a dollar in the offering plate, because I always complain about winter, and this winter I wasn't going to complain, and you know, I, I almost made it. I have not complained. I have not. I've learned to say I prefer days that are warmer, which isn't complaining. That's just stating, you know, something. But yesterday, man, I just lost it completely. I really did. Uh, I complained like two times, like boom, boom, right in my mouth. And Melissa was looking straight at me, and, and she, so I knew I had to be honest. Um, it, it's redneck to make change, isn't it? So I'll just put it. <laughs> I'll put a five five dollars, y'all. Um, so I got three free ones, Melissa. If, if I, I can complain three, no, I'll just uh, uh, be extra because I'm sure I did probably. Uh, but we've almost made it. It's almost spring. Uh, I, I love you guys so much. It's good to be, good to be with you today. Uh, next Sunday starts an important time for our church. It's the Deacon-led Summit. In the old days, I guess we would have called it Revival. So uh, it's a series of meetings that start on Sunday morning. We'll have a special Sunday night service next week that I don't want you to miss. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We are sort of loosely following Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of Obedience, which is an amazing book. After the summit, we will uh, spend some time going through the book together as a congregation. But just start with this at the summit. Actually, uh, if, if you're uh, one of the men here in the church, start in the morning at 6 a.m. with us. Uh, as a sort of our custom before the summit, we just call the men uh, to prayer. And so brothers, in the morning at 6 a.m., uh, be here. It's all guys, which means we don't care about your bedhead. I mean, I, I live, thankfully, about a mile and a half from the church, so I come straight out of bed uh, and walk into these prayer meetings. Because, you know, you close your eyes when you pray. It doesn't matter. Um, but brothers, meet me here. Be here. Uh, be here this week, 6 a.m. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for real revival. Now, if you're used to joining us by way of audio or video podcast, we will not record or broadcast the sermon next Sunday. Uh, our speaker is one of our uh, international partners. Uh, he will be speaking on persecution and missions. And, uh, and this dear brother, uh, literally, his life would be in danger if his identity and location were, were made public. So we will not broadcast his sermon next week. Uh, but in this house and uh, in, in, in Woodburn Baptist Church services, he will preach and he will call us to, uh, to the serious task of the Great Commission. So don't miss the summit. Don't miss a prayer meeting, guys, this week, starting at six o'clock in the morning. Also, Wednesday nights are, are phase groups. Uh, I've learned to really love my phase group. Uh, this is where we divide the church family into sort of family groups. We, we take the phase of life where you are or where your kids are, and we come together and talk about how to make disciples of our children uh, and, uh, and of one another. My group is the group of those whose kids are grown uh, and I, of course, have a grown son now. My son is married. He lives away. Uh, I'm proud of him. I love him. I sort of sometimes miss the little boy. But if I spend my whole life longing for the little boy days, I will miss the opportunity of these days when I have a, a young man that I am still uh, wanting to father and disciple and, and love. Uh, I've learned many things. Among those is that even in this season of our, our family's life, we can still have new adventures we can still make new memories. My job of being a dad is not done just because now he's got a wife to raise him, you, you, you know. Um, 
And it's been good. It's been really, really good. The phase group has been good for me. I've learned how to be a better dad by talking to other moms and dads. So that's why we do it, and that's why it matters. And if you haven't been involved, it's not like you've missed it, so now you can't drop in. Just drop in. My group meets in the choir room, which is down this hallway. We'll help you get there when you get here on Wednesday night. But don't miss that. Uh, They start at 6 a.m., 6 a.m., whoa, that's prayer meeting, 6, p, 6 p.m. on Wednesday night in, in the phase groups. And uh, again, we've got groups all the way up through grandparents, so there's not a person in this room who's left out of it, so, so, so join us there. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. This is the last in my series called Circles of Caring. We've been really trying to help you understand the, the, the why of small groups, why it is that it's so important for us to connect in smaller groups to, uh, to disciple one another. Um, so I've been preaching on the one another's of Scripture. There are a bunch of them. I've only done four. Uh, today I, I will focus on one more. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, my focus passage begins in verse 23. When I was a kid, I don't, I don't know if kids still do this. Y'all let me know if kids still do this. But we used to do this little hand nursery rhyme game. Do it with me. We would, we would fold our hands like this and make a fist like this. And we would say... Here's the church, right? And here's the steeple. And then open the doors and see all the people. Yeah, yeah. And when I was first a kid, I thought, man, that is so cool. I get home by myself and I would like do this first. Like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors. And it's like, no, there's no, you know, what? I mean, it's just like, how are they doing that? Um, so any, anyway, yeah, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door. And I see all the people. And you wiggle them when you, you know, see, see all the people. Yeah. Um, as far as nursery rhyme hand games go, I guess I would give that one probably a B plus. It's pretty good. Hand, hand motions, you know. Finger choreography, I'd give it a good solid A, you know. It's the church, the steeple, and doors, and well, people. Um, but as for uh, actual correspondence to the truth of the New Testament, I'd say this isn't a very effective nursery rhyme. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think you can point to one thing and say, here's the church, here's the steeple, here's the people. No, no, see, right there, you're getting it wrong. You can't point at one thing and say, no, there's the church, and then point at something else and go, there's the people. Because you understand this, right? The, The church is not like something we go to. It's not a building. The church is what we are. The church is people. It is people. This is a building, and you'll say, well, that's Woodburn Baptist Church, but I guess technically you'd have to say Woodburn Baptist Church meets here when you pass by on the street because the church is the people. We are the church. We are the church. And so as far as that little nursery rhyme goes, you can't say here's the church and here's the people because, no, the people are the church, which takes us to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just say up front, I love this church. And when I say I love this church, y'all know I'm not talking about the brick uh, brick building and the sidewalks, man. I'm talking about you all. I, I love you. I, I love you. I'm blessed to have spent the biggest part of my life with you people. And I am a better every, I don't blame y'all for all the ways in which I'm, you know, lame, um, which is so many ways, but uh, I am such a better man because of you all. I've seen the generosity of your giving and it's made me want to be generous. I've, I've seen your kindness. It's made me want to be kind. I see your faithfulness. It just makes me want to be faithful. 
if I'm any kind of preacher at all, it's because you all are such good listeners. You have been my prayer partners. People in this church taught me how to pray. I, I pastor you day in and day out, week in and week out, but, but you are shaping me. You're forming my soul. And I'm not even preaching yet, y'all. I, I just need to say that. This church is people, and you all are the dearest people in the world to me. Just, just so dear. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. Let, let, let's look at the passage, and then we'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to preach and just quit yammering on. Hebrews chapter 10. I said the passage starts at verse 23, but just so you understand it, let's go back to verse 19. Go back to verse 19. Um, the author of Hebrews is, is talking about Jesus who is the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. And then Jesus is our great high priest. Uh, so he's sort of talking about the realities of what Jesus has done for us, but he's using sort of an Old Testament uh, sort of an old Jewish system language to help us understand what Jesus has done. So he goes through that. Uh, we're going to enter the most holy place, which was the place in the temple where no one was allowed to go because that's where God would dwell. Uh, we're going to start there. And then talk about since Jesus has done all this for us, it's going to go through a series of, of lettuces, a series that begin with let us in, in verse 22. So watch those and count those. Let us, let us, let us. But because of what Christ has done for us, then let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. And one really good in verse 25, one really good, let us not, all right? So watch for three let us sentences. Let us, let us, let us. And then the big let us not. Y'all with me? So let's start in verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. That's a, that's a giant, giant sentence. Because of what Jesus has done for me and because of what Jesus has done for you, I can now walk straight into God's presence. I, can walk, I have access to God's presence because of what Jesus has done. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So see that? Let us go right into the presence of God. Verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways, let us consider ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not, all right? Let us, let us, let us, let us not neglect our meeting together, some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love that. I, 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 I love that. Since we have this great high priest, again, we're talking about Jesus and his reality in our lives. But in the book of Hebrews, the author is led to describe this in Old Testament terms, Old Testament temple terms, where the presence of God dwelt in darkness and solitude behind the curtain in the most holy place. No one could go there. The, the priest himself could only make entrance one time after making a sacrifice of blood, you understand? And over and over and over those sacrifices were made in order to purchase that one-time entrance in order to make a, a, a propitiation, a 
sacrifice for the sins of the people. Then over and over and over they walked through these rituals and over and over and over the animals were slaughtered at the temple and the blood would flow over and over and over. But Christ became the sacrifice for our sins once for all. Once for all, his blood paid the price, the complete price for your sin and my sin. And then he goes one step further. Not only does he purchase our access into God's presence, understand? In other words, now you can walk straight in, walk straight in. There is no curtain. There is no barrier because of what Jesus has done. You can walk straight. You have access to God's presence. It's beautiful, beautiful. And not only that. He takes care of that lingering guilty conscience that Doug was talking about in this room earlier, that that guilty conscience. I know that God forgives me. I know that Jesus has died to forgive all of my sins, but I just can't get over the things I've done. People won't forget. People won't forgive. And I have a very difficult time forgiving myself. I don't know how you are, but but I have a very tender, very heavy conscience. If I feel like I've done something, I mean, I can't sleep. I can't rest. If I feel like I've offended somebody else, I'll go apologize. And even if they forgive me, I will continue to beat myself up over and over and over. Oh, the, the guilty conscience. Well, what does the scripture say? Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. I'm not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. My, my conscience has been sprinkled clean and my body washed with pure water. So let us go right into the presence of God. That's verse 22. That's the first let us. Because of what Christ has done, you understand? Because of what he has done now, I, I get to do things and I must do things. So because I have this great high priest, let us go right into the presence of God. Verse 22. And then verse 23, the next one. So let us Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. The good? Hold tightly to the hope without wavering. In other words, you don't waver on trusting anything that God tells you because God doesn't waver in keeping his promise. If God says it, then it is done. It is complete. There's no question mark where God puts a period. You understand what I'm saying? So we hold tightly to the hope we have. We hold tightly to his promises. We do not waver in faith because he does not waver. If he promises, he delivers. And this good stuff? And this isn't even the preaching yet, y'all. Verse 24. Let us think of ways. Let us consider ways. I love this. Let us consider ways. To motivate one another to acts of love and and, and good deeds. Let us consider, uh, that's the Greek word he uses, it's the word consider. Let let, let us consider ways to motivate one another to acts of love and and good works. Again, the word that he uses there is the Greek word, we would probably translate consider. It means to think intently, to, to focus. And the author of Hebrews only really uses this word uh, one other time, and I think it's back in, yeah, in chapter 3, verse 1. Turn back, just look there. Again, the New Living Translation will, will say think carefully or something like that. But, but it's the same word, and he only uses it two times in the entire book of Hebrews. In chapter 3, he uses it for the first time, and he says, So, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, then... then Consider Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. He was faithful to God 
and on and on. So in chapter 3, verse 1, it's consider Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus. Consider Jesus. But now, in our passage today, chapter 10, verse 24, what he literally says is now, now consider others. Think of others. So in the entire book of Hebrews, we're told where to focus our thoughts, where to focus our mind, and, and, and it's two places, two, two different directions. First off, you consider Jesus. You focus on Jesus. You think intently about Jesus. And then in chapter 10, verse 24, you consider others. You think intently about others. You focus on others. So do you understand what we're saying here? There's just two things you think about. Uh, only two things. You, you, you consider Jesus and you consider others, period. Consider Jesus, you, you, you consider others. So, so bottom line, our meeting together is important because of what Christ has done in our lives. This is where it all hangs. And because of what we are to do in the lives of one another, this is the point you have to see. Because he goes straight to there to verse 25 and says, now let us not neglect meeting together. Let us go into the presence of God. Let us hold tightly without wavering. Let us consider ways to motivate one another and let us not neglect meeting together. Now, this is what I want us to think about today, to consider what it means to meet together, but understand how this fits in this passage. Our meeting together is first important because of what Christ has done in our lives. Because we have this great high priest, because we have this access into God's presence, because we have the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our conscience, because we have this great hope that we can cling to without wavering because he's not going to waver because of all this, because you wake up every day considering how to motivate others, then now don't neglect meeting together. Instead, how that hangs together? So our meeting together is connected to new things. First off, what Christ has done for us, but second, what we're supposed to do in the lives of one another. We have a very important task in the lives of one another. And it has to do with why we meet together. Now, I know that it's confusing because for the most part, most of you this morning, you got up and you came to church. You go to church. Most of us think of church as something we go to, but this is what I'm trying to tell you. Church is not something you go to. Church is what we are. We're people. The church is people, and this is all about people. You did not come here even to hear a message. Your purpose for being here is not just to hear this message. And we really need to understand this, especially in our day and age, because you understand, right? that most people who hear this message I'm preaching right now, they're not gonna come in this building to hear it. This message will go out on audio podcast, on video podcast, and on Facebook Live, which means most people now who hear me preach ever, they may not ever even see my face. They may never walk into this house. In other words, I'm saying you can hear preaching anywhere everywhere all the time. So while you're at it, you should probably like go find a sermon by Stephen Furtick because he's a million times better than this. He just is. Stephen Furtick is, is amazing. Judas Smith, church home, man. I listen to those podcasts every single week, man. I love these guys preaching. I'm a preaching nerd. I listen to sermons all the time. I listen to sermons by, in, in churches I'll never walk into, by pastors I'll never meet. And everybody else can do that too. You can do that. Some of our church members are catching on. You can stay home in your boxers 
And watch this on Facebook Live. In other words, you can eat your fruity pebbles right out of the bowl in your boxers and at the same time get this message and you'll tell yourself, just like I went to church. Now, what's the difference? Because if you think that coming to church is just listening to a message or hearing music, because again, you can hear music now anywhere. Every song we sing in, in this house today, we worship together with great worship music. But honestly, Casey and I, I think heard every one of those songs off of our Apple music, you know, playing through the house this morning as we were getting ready to come to this place. You with me? So I don't have to come to church to hear worship music. I don't have to come to church to hear a message. So now people are catching on, man. I don't really have to come to church at all. And people tell me that. You know, Pastor Tim, my goodness, I, I, I don't really come very often, but I, I watch your sermons on the internet. You know, I, I'm really glad you do. I, I'm really glad that you do. But I want you to understand that, that this is not exactly the point. The, the message here is not the point. It's part of it. But it's just a part of it, and it's probably not even the most important part. The most important part is what we're doing in one another's lives. You understand? It's about the people. So when you sit at home in your boxers eating, you know, fruity pebbles out of the bowl, watching the greatest preacher, watching some other preacher than me, like watching some great preacher preach, understand, you're still missing out on what this passage is talking about. Let us not neglect meeting together, Hebrews says. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, he says. So so why do we meet? Why do we meet at all? As I say, we meet together because of what Christ has done for us, but what is it about what Christ has done that brings us together? Because what Christ does is personal, is it not? And when it talks about how he sprinkles a guilty conscience, man, I take that personally because I have had a guilty conscience. When it talks about the forgiveness of sins, I take that personally because personally I am an awful sinner. That's personal. So when it talks about having access to come into the very presence of God, that's personal. You can come. You can come as you are because of what Christ has done for you. It's personal. But you know what? As soon as you come into the presence of God personally, individually, you, all by yourself, just between you and Jesus, when he brings you into this great salvation, one of the first things you discover is you're not the only one. You're not even the first one. And praise God, you won't be the last one. When you come into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done, you're going to quickly discover that what Jesus has done includes a lot of people, includes the whole world. So when you come into Christ, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. We come into Christ, suddenly we find out that we're not alone. When I am joined with Christ because of what he's done for me, I at the very same time, time become joined to all the other people who are joined with Christ. All of a sudden, I'm connected, connected to the body of Christ, as the New Testament calls it, which is the people of God. All those who come to Christ, I'm connected to you. And we have this great commission all together, all of us together, that says we're supposed to go into all the world 
and make disciples of one another. Make disciples of everybody. This is our job. Understand? So we're making disciples of one another, and and that's why we need each other. I can't do this without you. I can watch preachers from home eating fruity pebbles out of the bowl by myself and tell myself, that was a good message right there. But I'm telling you, hearing a good message is not exactly living the full life of Christ that, that he longs to give you. And the biggest part of what Christ wants to do in your life, the, the, the transformation of you into his image, the sanctification of making you holy as he is holy, I'm telling you, that can't happen when you're not connected to the body of Christ. You need people. You need the people of Jesus. You need the church. And the church is not a building. Church is the people. We need each other. So understand, we're not trying to make this church full of people. That's not our goal. Our goal is to make people full of Christ. That's our goal. It's not about the buildings. It's not about getting people into church. It's getting Christ into people. And then letting Christ have his way with us. Y'all understand? Does that make sense? And that's why we're here. And that's why we need each other. And we need each other desperately. Desperately. I love verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You know, that that just sounds strange when you think about it because I would expect the verse to say, you need to think about ways where you can love better. You need to think about ways where you can do more good deeds. You need to work on you. And probably you should. I mean, wouldn't hurt you at all. But that's not what this text says. When I wake up in the morning, my first thought is Jesus and then others. And this passage says I need to concentrate, like think intently, like focus like a laser on how I can make a positive difference in the lives of other people. You see that? You need to focus on how you can motivate others toward love. I want other people to love more and more like Jesus. I need to figure out how to move people, move people one step closer to Jesus. That's why I live. That's why you live. That's what we're here for. Like I'm supposed to make it my number one goal to to try to help you just take one more step toward Jesus so you can can move toward love and, and, and move toward good deeds. I mean, it's about how I can help you. Everything is about what we do for one another. So that's why he goes on to say, so let us not neglect meeting together for the simple reason that you really can't have a positive difference in my life, really, if you don't show up. You gotta show up in my life. We've gotta meet together. And that so often as preachers, we made this verse like boiled it down to, so come to church. You should come to church every time the door is open. And, And I think what this passage says is so much more beautiful than just come to church. Because we say come to church, again, you've made church something you go to as opposed to something that we are together. So let us not neglect meeting together. That's about drawing together as people. It's not so much about going somewhere. It's about, it's about being with people. So, so be with people. Don't neglect to, to be with people. Don't neglect to meet together because we need each other. I can't do this without you. I can't become more and more like Jesus without you because Jesus' intention from the start 
is to do his work through the lives of people, through the body of Christ. Your gifts and my gifts come together. I don't have your gifts. You don't have my gifts. I mean, he's made it in such a way where we can't be complete without one another. Do not neglect meeting together, he says. So uh, if you need some reasons, I'll, I'll give you these. First off, just you know, meet together out of obedience. Let's just start right there. It's what the word says. So meet together. Now, as we've been talking about small groups, understand what, what this passage talks about where you really try to spur one another on toward love, you know, to go deeper in love, to be more loving uh, people, uh, to spur one another on toward, toward love and good deeds, to be finding ways to serve Christ in bolder, deeper, bigger ways. I mean, can't possibly do that from a distance. So, so the Bible says you just got to learn to show up. And, and, and as I've said, this Sunday morning gathering is fantastic. I love Sunday mornings. But honestly, what, what Hebrews says needs to happen here, that, that doesn't happen as much on Sunday morning. As I've said over and over and over, you're looking at the back of somebody's head right now. Now that's a start. It's a start, but if you continue to stare into the back of a stranger's head and let another stranger stare at the back of your head, I don't know that we're learning to spur one another on toward love and good deeds when we just file in and out of pews like strangers. That's why I say small groups matter. At some point, you need somebody that you can look at in the face so that you can sort of peel back the mask and say, this is who I really am. Because you can't really love me if you don't know me. And you don't really know me until I really get close enough where I can start sort of letting you know this, this, this is what I look like not on Sunday morning. You do it out of obedience first. You just do it out of obedience. You, you need to begin uh, meeting with other Christians in a serious way. And like I say, Sunday morning church, that's a start. But now small groups are probably the, the next step for you. That, that's where this can really start to happen. As, as pastor, I've learned that I can sort of ruin any small group in the church I join. Uh, and I appreciate the way y'all respect me. I appreciate the way that you often just sort of yield to me. But that's why I feel like I kill a good small group. Because all of a sudden, if I'm there and the teacher's teaching, they'll say, oh, Pastor Tim, you know, what do you think? And it's like, I wasn't thinking. You know, I was just listening to you. But um, I, I just sort of ruin a good group. I, I, I talk. I, I sort of take over. I'm so used to being in the, in, in the front that it's hard for me sometimes to sit in a group and just be. Um, so I purposely have joined a small group of pastors because, you know, all of a sudden, if you got like five guys, you know, trying, you know, we sort of cancel each other out. Tuesday nights at Rick and Julie Howerton's house, Casey and I meet with other ministry couples. It's my small group. Um, honestly, when I first made the commitment, it's when I was telling you all that we needed to all be in small groups. And then I realized, you know, I'm not in a small group. And I just sort of refuse ever to, to ask you all to do what I won't do. So I found a small group. I joined a small group that meets on Tuesday nights. At first I panicked because I thought, man, I'm busy. And I really am. Casey and I don't always have nights at home in a week at all. Um, and I'm not complaining at all. That's, you know, I love ministry life. But just thought, man, if we, you know, making a commitment, you know, Tuesday nights, you know, we're going to be gone. You know, we're not going to get to watch This Is Us, you know. 
I never really imagined on the front end that I would get to the place where um, I love my small group. I, I, I love these brothers. Kenneth Grizel is a pastor at Greenwood Park Church of Christ, and that Church of Christ pastor and this Baptist pastor, man, we've just become such good friends. I love him. Erdie Carter, pastor of Calverton. Oh, my goodness, Franklin Wood. It's changing my life. It's a place where I can just look other people in the face and, and they understand ministry life. They know me. They understand Casey. And I can just sort of peel back the mask and say, this is, this is who I am on a Tuesday night. You know, When I'm not up front, the light's not shining in my face. and It's good. It's good. And if it's that good for me, I think it'll be that good for you. This is what I'm saying. I think you need it. At first, you do it out of obedience. Again, when I, when I first made the commitment to my small group, it was, it was basically out of a desire not to be a hypocrite. I, I didn't want to tell you it mattered for you if it didn't matter for me. So I, I did it more or less out of that, out of obedience. I, I wasn't really looking forward to it, to be honest. I, didn't, I had no idea how good it would be for me. At first, it was just out of obedience. Does that make sense? Um. The other point I think I've made over and over and over and over, you, you meet with others so that you can care for others. You really can't, you, you can't care deeply for people if you don't show up in their lives. And a small group like that allows you just this rhythm of getting together and it, and it takes time and, and the time is worth it. Um, in our day and age, you know, money seems to, to be less and less valuable. People will give you money. It's time that, that we don't part with. We're not generous with our time. And so sometimes the time we give to one another is the greatest gift we can give at all. So yeah, you just set that time aside and you don't watch the clock and you just begin to find out, you know, um, what people need and how you can be there for each other in their lives. If you don't show up, you can't have that. You can't be a part of that. And some of you don't show up. I mean, Sunday morning you're here, but you're not showing up in a way where, where, where honestly somebody who had a need could count on you. Or if you had a need, there would be somebody there that you could count on. You meet with others so you can care for others. I mean, it's just, it's just that. As I said, your purpose in this life is to make a positive difference for Christ in the lives of others. That's why you're here. It's why he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together but encourage one another. You want to know why we meet together? I mean, it says it right there. We meet together to encourage one another. It's not to hear a sermon. It's not to put on a dress or fancy clothes and come to church. It's not to hear worship music. It's a, so that something happens between me and you. It's, it, it's called encouraging one another. I close with this thought. It's not always going to seem like anything is happening at all. <laughs> I mean, some Tuesday nights, it's like we go, we come home. Um, it doesn't always seem like it in the, in the moment. Because sometimes the word that you hear, uh, the encouraging word, is not for today. It's for a day down the road because that's how the Lord works. He prepares us where we are for what is coming. And so sometimes what you hear tonight, you don't understand how important that was till you get into tomorrow. Sometimes relationships are, are difficult. Sometimes the very people who become your very best teachers, your best disciplers, aren't necessarily your best friends. 
and understand we learn from one another no matter how much friendship forms. And so you stay with it because what God does is, is often slow and, and over time, and that's why you just make a commitment and stay with it. It may not seem like your world is being rocked early on. You just stay, stay with it because it's the beauty of it. It's what happens over time. This week I had a, had a birthday, y'all. I'm 54, uh, which is awesome. Um, one of the best things about my birthday is just, you know, the Facebook happy birthdays, which, you know, are, are kind of crazy but also just kind of fun. It's beautiful. Um, the best kind of birthday wish for me was posted by Barbara White this week, and I just love this. Uh, Barbara said, happy birthday to the best pastor ever. That's debatable, but I'll take it. That's good. Um, I've watched you pass through many phases of life, and I've loved you through them all. Hope your day is great. Um, it's that I've watched you pass through many phases of life. This is what I mean by you don't always know what's happening, just stay with it. Because Barbara is Barbara's truly just one of those spiritual mothers. For me. I, I, your plan, I would love to be my mother. Um, older sister. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Um, I love Barbara and Jimmy. They're, they're spiritual parents to me. Barbara is a spiritual mother to me. Um, and when she says she's watched me over the phases of my life, you understand it. I don't know how to say this. Um, there, there's something about having people in your life who are just sort of witnesses. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's just been a witness in, in all of those phases of my life. You know, like... When I was a you know, young teenager and, and would first like sing in church and Barbara would say, wow, you know, I love that song you sing. And that was just kind of it. She'd say, I love that song. But, but when the scripture says we meet together to encourage one another, like that, that's what's happening. You know, we were together on a Sunday and, and she took that opportunity to just whisper, you know, I, I love that song. Do that again. Sing that again. Barbara... Uh, was present when I preached my very first sermon. Barbara was one of those who laid hands on me when I was ordained in this church to, to be a pastor, and she whispered a prayer in my ear. When Casey and I got married, Barbara was there, Barbara and Jimmy. Jimmy was so young. You were so good looking, Jimmy. Skinny, <laughs> head full of hair, man. You were so cool. Um, Barbara threw bird seed. <laughs> as we walked out the back of the fellowship hall in the old building and uh, yeah, just congratulated us and was there for us. She attended our wedding. Barbara attended our fifth miscarriage and she comforted me. Casey was in the procedure and Barbara sat with me as if she knew what it was like to lose a child because she has. So I'm, I'm just saying, um, it's, it's just what happens, you know, Sunday after Sunday and all the days in between when uh, Barbara and so many of you, and it's, it's just what we do. We, we just sort of show up for one another and encourage one another. And, and, and with time, again, it, it's not always like, you know, one, one Sunday. I mean, there are some great moments, but for the most part, it's more like what happens when your footprints sort of just wear a path on the trail that you walk every day or the way the, the, the small stream, you know, will, will cut the canyon over time. Uh, 
difficult. You all have cut this canyon of love and good deeds right through the center of my heart. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why the author of Hebrews says, don't, don't let this go of of all things, this coming together, this meeting together. You can't let that go. It's just more important than you know because you need people. We need one another more than we know. Pray with me.